Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Today we're going to have a super exciting debate throwdown about the porn industry. I'm here with two gentlemen. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, my name is Seth, and uh, I am an uh, I would say I would, I'm an expert in the uh, porn industry as of right now. So um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what what we have to uh, discuss today. Okay. And my name is Tommy Schultz. I I'm currently working just as a speaker full-time going around the country, and I speak on topics such as chastity, theology of the body, pornography, and that type of thing. So that's why I'm here, and just to kind of give that viewpoint. So. All right. So, Seth, uh, why do you describe yourself as an expert on the porn industry? <laughs> well, I describe myself as an expert because I'm by trade, I'm an audio engineer. So I work in the entertainment industry. I work in... All capacities from TV, film, commercial advertising, singers, songwriters, bands, rappers, pretty much everything. And then recently I got hired to do, um, as a matter of fact, podcast work and radio shows for um, the adult entertainment industry. And since I've been doing that, and this is granted, I want to preface this by saying I'm not in the movies. I do not... (laughs) participate in the movies uh i don't do anything with filming the movies i have nothing to do with the movie side of it i just do the radio side of it so what does that mean the radio side of it? the radio side is basically talking about the industry the kind of misconceptions that there are in the industry versus what is the actuality of the industry the horror stories versus the true stories women and men's experiences both in and out of the industry why they got in, why they decided to stay, why they decided to leave. Um, so after you know being in that realm where I'm hearing interviews with people day in and day out all the time, I can say that as a as a person working in it, I can say yeah, like I do know like the industry in and out at this point since I've had enough experience and I've heard enough stories to tell you yeah, is it all perfect? No, just like anything, nothing is perfect. Is it something that I feel a lot of people have misconceptions about? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm here to kind of control what some of the misconceptions are versus some of the realities. I'm sure actually as a practicing Catholic, uh, yeah. Tommy and I will um, agree on a lot of the things he has to say, I'm sure, as far as personal morality beliefs go. But I, I'm kind of here to just, what I feel I'm here for is to kind of control what are the actual misconceptions and what are the truths of the industry versus what our propaganda that either side will say is true versus false when it may not be true or false. Okay, that's you fair. Know, I'm, I'm just here to kind of just back the facts. Okay. Yeah. And so to clarify for our listeners, you are a practicing Catholic. Yes. Okay. I am. And I do not do any of the acting. <laughs> I want to get that very clear so people a, know this. It's like a time. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's very clear. clear. He's not very in the videos. Not in the videos, so yeah. we can get that out of the way. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And so, yeah, Tommy, so how, what makes you uh, sure of yourself on, on these topics? 
Um, I would not say I'm an expert on the industry at all. I'm, I'm definitely an expert on – well, I wouldn't even say an expert. I don't know if I'd go that far. But um, I'm definitely very knowledgeable about the industry from the outside. I know a lot of uh, studies that have been done and books that I've read just explaining the industry. A little background on myself, and I say this in talks and stuff as well, but I was actually addicted to pornography for a while um, in high school. So I'm coming from that angle as well of kind of seeing what pornography can do to a person, to the human brain, that type of thing. Definitely from a scientific perspective, I know a lot of the studies that have come out uh, kind of explaining the effects of pornography and that type of stuff, especially, like I said, on the human brain. So that's kind of the side I'm coming from. Um, and you also have your own recovery program. Yeah, so I just started a recovery program. Uh, it's a 30-day recovery program for people with specifically with pornography addiction. Um, so, yeah, specifically for people who are looking at it on, on a regular basis and it's, and it's disrupting their life in a, in a substantial way. So, yeah, it's a 30-day program that I just started. But I do love talking about the subject. I love engaging with people and seeing people's worldviews. And obviously, whenever you bring two people together, you know, you have two human beings talking. So there's always love. There's always joy. Um, but it's also good to get deep in and to discuss and to debate and that that type of stuff so yeah, yeah. yeah i agree I, i'm just curious so your 30-day program is that in association with um sexaholics or sex sex anonymous or it's not so a problem that i found so again i mentioned i was addicted to pornography for a while in high school and the problem that i found going through that addiction was that there's a lot of stuff out there scientifically to help you with the addiction. So like you said, Sexaholics Anonymous or 12-step programs, things like that, where you can right. go and you can get specific help. You get accountability. You get people to talk to, which is great. But what I found was that there's not a lot of stuff theologically there's not a lot of programs theologically backing up why we shouldn't look at pornography. Oh, so, this, so this is basically specifically for the theological side of it. So this is really for... Catholics or for Christians that are trying to beat this habit. Yes, but I would say even yes. further than that because I think at the core of at the core of pornography use, I think whoever's looking at pornography, whoever whoever is viewing it, I think they're searching for love, and that's more of a human condition than it is a religious condition. So I think it's it's for any person. It's not specifically religious, but it gets to the theological side of, and even the human side of why. Why is this a bad thing? Why should we not be looking at this stuff? What can it do to us? And and what are the reasons behind the morality of it? So I grew up hearing all the time in church, you know, or in youth group or even from parents or friends or whatever, you know, pornography is bad. Don't look at it. And like, that's as far as it ever went. And so it's like, okay, well, I need a little bit more than that. Like, obviously, okay, I know it's wrong, but like, why? You know, I, right. I wanted to answer those hard questions. Why is it wrong? Why is it incorrect? You know, how do we get there as human beings? You know, and something in me, I think, knew it was wrong because otherwise I wouldn't hide it. You know, I don't know of any guy or girl who's looking at pornography in public, right? And they're just opening their laptop at a McDonald's and, you know. Um, Surprisingly, I know a lot of people that do. Okay, but, well, I, I don't know them in yeah. my circles, I suppose. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. well, well, not, I wouldn't say they're in my circles either. I just, I just wanted to do some random weird <laughs> like, people. Who are you hanging out with? No, like you go to McDonald's. You go to McDonald's and libraries. There's plenty of people that'll that'll surf on. On porn sites, I, like public places, it's crazy to me. I, I would never have thought that was a thing. Oh, yeah. But, I've, um, I've never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, people but... do it all the time now. I mean, now that people have access 
to pretty much everything on their phones now too. Yeah. You know, now it's like you don't even have to go to like a library to do it. You could be in a public park and do it. You could right. watch it anywhere. Right. You know, everything, yeah, but everything is, you're saying makes it sound so much creepier though because you're naming like all these places where little children are. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, <laughs> you're like, you know, McDonald's, public parks, <laughs> playgrounds. I mean, but this, is, but this, is, <laughs> this is the reality though, right? So yeah. um, one of the things we talk about a lot of the industry stuff I work with as is the accessibility. And that, and that goes for the good and the bad, you know, great for people that really want to use it, bad for obviously, you know, Catholics and Christians that feel it's too accessible or people that are trying to beat that, that habit of pornography and masturbation and whatnot. And so, yeah, that, that has become a, a big focal point for the industry in general. You know, what is the next step? We've been talking pretty extensively the last couple of weeks about it, just in terms of how how it's changing and what what societal impact has done and what is kind of shaping it because uh last you know the before the election one of the, one of the measures was the was the condom measure and um you know in so California. The, right right and and in in the in the industry the industry was like no you want to vote no on that and well, just to clarify um, what was the measure for so the measure yeah oh sorry yeah yeah that's true so um, the measure in, in California, essentially, the entire the, the entire thing encompasses a lot of different different topics. But the main thing was using condoms in pornography. Um, if you voted yes for it, it meant that you basically wanted the performers to be required to wear them. Versus, if you voted no, you wouldn't have them re- be required to use them in the state of California. That was the initial first part of it. The second part of it was if it would have passed, it, it actually did not pass, but if it would have passed, it also would have given the right to any public person in the state of California to actually complain if they found an actor or an actress not using a condom in a in a scene when they were supposed to be using one. So therefore, it also gave the power to the public to say, look, you're not using one. I can sue you for... Um, indecent, uh, I I forget exactly what the measure, the actual name of the law was, but it gave the public a lot of power and it also gave power to the public to look up and search the people's name in a public forum. So right now, all of the performers are protected by false names like you know johnny green or you don't Alex have to give more D or whatever. Okay. well you know my point though yeah. and so so part of that measure was also giving the people public access to their real names their addresses and their phone numbers so a lot of the actors and actresses in the industry were very heavily voting no for it because it's like look we're we're trying to be protected like yeah this is an industry like anything else but you know, I can't look up who's making my car in the factory. Why are people able to look me up and look up my real name and my real phone number and my real address? And then, of course, because of the industry, and I'm sure you'll talk about that in a second, but because of what it is like and what it can do to the human psyche and, and everything else, you know, you can have stalkerish mentalities and people that mm-hmm. would probably try to harass them yeah. and whatnot. And so they were really trying to protect against that. So I know they are very happy that it did not pass because of that reason uh, specifically. But yeah, but that's also shaping the accessibility of what you're talking about um, is shaping the industry. And now like the next big thing is like, oh, well, what is the next big thing? And the next big thing for the industry and where it's going is virtual reality. So the industry is really going into the virtual reality route where it's kind of like a choose your own scene, choose your own adventure kind of thing. And uh, that's where a lot of it's kind of going right now in the future.
do you think are you because you talked about wanting to uh, control some misperceptions. So what do you think are some misperceptions? I think the biggest misconception about the industry is that every, especially with the women, that the women that are in it are only in it for the money and they absolutely hate their job and they all have daddy issues and they all have problems. Um, or that they're all on drugs and they're drunk during their scenes or high or whatever. Um, the reality of it is, I would say out of everyone, and I'm being completely unbiased with this, um, I would say out of everyone that we've interviewed or that I've ever met that's in the industry, I would say maybe 10 to 20% of the people fall into the category of I'm doing it just for the money and I hate my job. It's, it's a very low percentage of people, especially with the younger generation that is coming into the industry right now. Most of the girls that I've met have been absolutely, they love what they do. They, they, they weren't forced into it. They decided they on their own free way that will they wanted to do it. And it wasn't about the money for 80% of them. The other 20%, yeah. Do they have issues? Yeah. Do some of them absolutely hate their job? Yeah, they do. They're, it's not a perfect situation where everything is, you know, all donuts and ice cream. You know, it, it's not perfect. And there are some people that are doing it for the money. We're like, yeah, I got in for the money. Absolutely. I felt like I couldn't go to college. I wasn't in a situation where I could. And I didn't want to work at McDonald's making $7 an hour when I could do this and make $200 or $300 a day. I get it. You know, and so there are people that are like that. But it's, it's as of right now, in this, in this era of what I would say the last four to, four to five years, it been, it's been an 80-20 split. However, what you are, what you will see is that the people that were um, older in the early 90s and uh, in the early 2000s, that number was flipped. It was like 2080. I would say it was like 20% of the people liked what they did. And then the 80 other percent of the people just did it because of the money or because they had an awful life and they felt like there was no way out. So um, that's one of the biggest mis misconceptions for sure. So I guess uh, just to kind of ask you a question at this point – because I would agree with that. I, I don't know about the statistics at all. I wouldn't be able to say a percentage per se. And mm -hmm. I think it's hard to even say, I mean, yeah, you obviously have way more experience in the field than I do. Um, but even with that, it would be hard to say on a national level what that would be. Although a majority of it does probably happen here in California. But I, so I wouldn't be able to speak to the percentages, but I would ask you, and I would say, yeah, there are obviously people in it who don't do it solely for money, don't do it solely because they're addicted to drugs, and there's something else going on here. So I would ask, maybe my question would be, what is going on? And I guess the question for me would be, do you think people are getting into it? Because you mentioned they're getting into it, the younger generation. So do you think maybe that's the reason for that is they're getting into it, trying to find the sense of maybe sexual freedom or sexual ownership almost to be able to take ownership of their sexuality does that make sense yeah um i can i can definitely answer that question because that's one of the questions that we ask quite a bit or that they tell us i would say yes that's a huge part of it a lot of it is because these kids and i say kids because they're, they're way younger than me you know 18 to you know i was 18 and 27 is the average age of, of the industry people and uh, as far as the women go and i would say that um in general, yeah, because of that age bracket and they grew up with iPhones and FaceTime and, and Twitter and Instagram and all these social media things, they're very connected people. Everyone in the industry is super connected and they they want to 
you know, get their likes. They want to become famous. A lot of it is from what I've understood and what I've gotten out of it, whether they've said it directly or not, and some have, it's a lot of it's about attention. A lot of it's about, you know, if you're looking at the psychological side of it, which I think you are primarily, it's there's there's something missing in the aspect of they didn't get enough attention or they just like a lot of attention. And that's one of the ways to do it. Before everything was so accessible, an average um, female talent, you'd, you'd, you'd only be famous based on how much stuff was bought from you, how many people bought your stuff. You know, whereas now it's like, oh no, it's based on how many Twitter followers and Instagram followers you have. And then you also have a new thing where the the talent can directly talk to you or their fans, you know, in general through these social media outlets and through Snapchat and whatever. So they're more accessible. So a lot of it is they get into it because they're probably missing or they're probably wanting just more attention in general. And so that's the way that it's easiest to do it while also getting paid and not having to have a college education to have the lifestyle that you would like. Um, I think that's a huge part of it. It's, it's a lot more accessible that way. But also, I, I think a lot of it, and I'm sure you'll touch on it, is that societally-wise now, you know, sex is completely downgraded. I mean, as far as, like, its importance, as far as, you know, how sacred do we keep sex in society? It's at an all-time low, probably. I mean, now, I, I and I, I've noticed that shift, and I'm sure you did, I'm sure Mary Ashley did too, but in TV and e- even in movies like things that were pg-13 are now pg things that were rated r are now pg-13 so like the the downgrade of sex and, and love in general in tv and film has gone down so low that you know you can talk about sex openly or even sexual innuendo jokes in a g-rated or pg-rated movie so because of that i think these these younger actresses and actors are like oh well this isn't a big deal like i can do this no problem like everyone's doing it anyways might as well get paid for it yeah, and one one thing I have heard performers say is like, well, I like having sex, and so I might as well do something because I genuinely like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I would agree with you. I think a big part of that is the sacredness of sex has diminished, and uh, I think well, that was a sexual revolution essentially, and I think it started with good intentions. So in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. even with Playboy, all that stuff coming out, Hugh Hefner, I think. He was really, I mean, the the person to start the sexual revolution mm-hmm. in in the largest sense that we know it now, and I think his intentions were valid. Well, not valid, but I think they were. His intentions were not. He had good intentions that didn't mm-hmm. make them valid, but he had good intentions. Um, and I always think of the quote from Jurassic Park three, where uh, <laughs> where they uh, I know, Park 3. <laughs> a random movie, but there's a quote in there where he says uh, some of the worst things imaginable have done have been done by people with the best intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think or the he, road to hell is paved with good intentions. With good intentions, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Hugh Hefner, like what he was trying to do, I think was he was trying to show people that the body isn't bad, that sex isn't bad, that we need to get this out into the public. Of course, I would say that he did that in the incorrect way because what he did is he showed this image of sex or this view of sex that's skewed, that that isn't going back to its original source. And so I think really who we need to look to to correct this kind of image of our sexuality, to bring it back to its sacredness, John Paul II, St. John Paul II, wrote many writings about the sacredness of sex and the sacredness of the body and how these things are good and how we need to respect them and how it's such a beautiful thing. And so I've heard it said from a couple of speakers before 
It's as if Hugh Hefner um, took a beautiful painting that was crumpled and he gave it to the world crumpled. And he said, no, you need to look at this. This isn't bad. And St. John Paul II, what he did was he uncrumpled the beautiful painting first, and then he handed it out to the world. And he said, now look at this. Look at this beautiful thing. So from my perspective, I think that's where we need to, where we need to look is, and I think you hit it right on the head, say, the sacredness of sex is really diminished. And I think part of that reason is the pornography industry. Part of it is just the sexual revolution. But part of it goes back to what I was saying about sexual freedom. We all want this sexual freedom. We all want to be in charge of our sexuality, which again, these intentions are good, but what does that really mean to be free? What does it really mean to be, you know, sexually free? Mm. Is sleeping around with every person on the earth sexually free? Is being addicted to pornography sexually free? So I think we need to look at really what those words mean, especially freedom, what that word means in relation to this. Because I think, and, and you said it too, and that's why I asked that question. I think a lot of people get into this industry because they want to be sexually free. They want to be in charge of their sexuality. They want to be empowered. Mm -hmm. And again, all those things are good, but if we're twisting it in a way where it's, it's not using sex for its intended purpose, I think that's where we go wrong. And, and it, it continues to degrade sex in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is a good point because, you know, uh, I have heard anti-porn arguments say like, oh, well, like, you know, why would you want to watch someone knowing that they're probably being coerced or they're drugged or whatever? And like, that is a fine way to stop watching porn, a fine reason to stop watching porn. But that is not what makes porn consumption wrong. Right. Yeah. And, and that and that and also that's that's one of the things I wanted to clarify, too. That statement is a, is a huge misconception. I don't know who says that or if it was like a church group or whatever. But like I said, nobody well, I, I mean, know. I have heard performers that are no longer important like they have said that. Sure, and, that, and that's who I've heard. And some of them are, um, and, and those are the the older generation I was talking about. That was like eighty twenty, where it was flipped, where it's like eighty percent of them hated what they did, the other twenty liked it. Because of everything, it, it kind of goes both ways. Because everything was super accessible now versus then, you can't really hide those things anymore. Like when things were happening like that, where you had a bad director, you had. Um, you know, something happened where someone was drugged or they're like, oh, we're going to do a scene. You might not like it, but we're going to pay you anyway, so just do it. Those kind of things aren't happening now because it's it's so accessible to everyone in the world, the internet and the social media where they can be like, yeah, don't watch this or whatever because this person's an asshole and they did this or whatever. So the, the industry in general is much more under under a finer microscope than they were before. There were things that could have gotten swept under the rug in the in the heyday, whereas now, like, that's just not possible. And there's so many more people. The other thing that's interesting is because of the, the, the internet as well is that there's much more diverse talent coming into the industry than there was before. Before, you know, it was, there was a handful of um, actors and actresses at any given point. There'd be, like, maybe five every one year or so that were, like, the famous, famous ones. And then, like... Even those people in itself, they had certain control over their career. Whereas now, we have so many people that, like, there's probably 30 to 40 people any given year that are going to be famous and or that are going to be well popularized. So because of that, that's also controlling a lot of the industry as well. I think what we do need to look at, and like you said, I'm sure those numbers have diminished quite a bit of people who 
you know, are addicted to drugs or are being abused in the industry and that type of thing. But I think what we also need to look at, first off, we, we can't neglect those people. Yeah. And I don't think that's, that's what you're saying at all. So yeah. uh, just because there are fewer numbers does not mean that the pornography industry is okay in doing any of those things. And I think you would obviously agree well, with right, that. Well, right, yeah. Um, those are obviously but another thing I think we need to look at, too, is just the statistics that are frequently coming out connecting the pornography industry to sex trafficking, which is a huge problem now in the United States. And I mean, really everywhere. But I would say that a a large portion of that, and again, I wouldn't know specific statistics. I'm sure there's studies that have been done. But I think we need to look at that as well Is how has the pornography industry affected sex trafficking because it has made it more available. I don't think we can argue that it hasn't. Um, it, It very clearly has. I think it's also increased demand. Increased demand as well. And I think what's happened, and it's like you said, the sacredness of sex has gone down. So what's happened with that is people are just thinking, okay, well, if we're going to act like animals, let's go all the way. And now it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a screen or if it's, you know, a kid that I can pick up anywhere through sex trafficking, you know, that distinction isn't being made. And I think pornography plays a role into that. Again, I don't know the specific statistics on that, but I think we definitely, it's, I think it's very safe to say that that does play a role. Yeah, I can I can speak to that. I would say overall in the in the American industry side of it, not you know excluding Euro and Asia, the, the sex trafficking is is definitely non-existent as far as the American side goes. All of that is very very regulated. I've seen the sheets and stuff. Like you, as an actor or actress, you still have to have like a, a valid social security number. You have to show your birth certificate. There's a lot of stuff like paperwork wise that you have to go through before doing anything. So as far as that goes, and, and because, because America has so many people that are already willing to do it anyways, American porn that doesn't have to do that. We don't, they don't have to steal people from other places or traffic in people from other places because right now there's enough American girls in general that just want to be a part of it. We don't have the need for that. However, what I will say, though, is that in places like Europe and stuff, that probably is a bigger factor. I would say that where things aren't as high as the demand, where where the the industry as a whole is much more closed off, and the, the trafficking is probably higher because in America everyone has access to internet and you can look at porn at any given time easily. Other places like in Europe, Eastern Asia, uh, even Eastern Asia, Eastern Asia, and especially like places like where I'm from, like in India, for example, you can't just access that stuff. You, it's, it's everything's blocked. China, it's blocked. Everything is blocked. So if you are doing anything with adult entertainment of any kind, it's always behind closed doors, or it's 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 within, you know, the upper echelon of people that have money would be able to access those things. And so yeah, with with human trafficking in in, in Europe, it's much higher. I would say because of that very. So reason. Wait, are you arguing that more legality and regulations are good? I'm saying that because we have so many regulations and legalities in America as, in general for the industry, it makes it very, very hard for people to, A, traffic them in if they wanted to, and B, it makes it so because the demand is so high and everything's so accessible anyways, we don't need to – the industry in itself doesn't need to do that. A, it's also illegal. Obviously, everyone knows besides the morality part of it, human trafficking is, is very illegal. All of the industry in general, it's all very regulated in California especially. And those things like – it's a company like anything else trying to make money. It's That's what they do. They exploit 
like whatever for money. And so at the end of the day, they're not trying to get sued. They're not trying to go to jail at the end of the day. So as far as human trafficking here goes, it, it's it's really non-existent in the industry. Yeah. Now, if someone else is like, oh well. I want to like re I want to um, reenact a sex scene for my own personal yeah. use, and I want to steal and kidnap somebody. That's something else. Well, that's, that has nothing to do with the industry as a whole, as a commodity. You know, trafficking people in. Right. That's more what I was talking about. I I can't speak directly about in the industry, but I think what's happened with the widespread use of pornography and the widespread availability of it is that sex trafficking has gone up because of the amount of people now who are in America and other places who are viewing this stuff and think, okay, this is acceptable anywhere. That was my point. So not so much in the industry, but more that the widespread use of pornography has made a culture that is more okay with more perverse actions. And I think if you yeah. if you study uh, the psychology of pornography, and there's many studies that have been done on this, what happens when you look at it is the your frontal lobe, so the white matter in your frontal lobe actually starts to shrink. And so pornography actually does make people stupider. <laughs> the more we view pornography, they've actually done studies on this where our brain does actually shrink. And so it changes our it changes our very our, our brain. It changes but what, our, what about it? What about that makes it shrink? What what is the shrinking even due to? What, what yeah? What like like what, why would viewing pornography make your brain? Shrink? Because so what happens when you view pornography is your is your entire system is rushed with dopamine. Uh, okay. which is the pleasure chemical, right? Mm. So what happens, and this is what I was getting to, what happens is the more you view pornography, the more that your brain is rushed with this stuff, the more that your frontal lobe shrinks, and the more pornography you need in the future to get that to get that same fix. So uh, my point and where I was going with that is, and, and I know this as a person who's recovered from it, I know from probably hundreds of people that I've talked to about it, um, people who struggle typically with pornography are going to start with something soft core and then eventually they're going to go on to more hardcore and then eventually they're going to have to start acting it out and eventually, you know, that's how it goes because what's happening in the brain is your, your neurons aren't firing as much it, and it's literally <coughs> shrinking your brain to the point where you need that rush of dopamine more and more and more and more. And that's how addictions work. Any addiction yeah, and that's is, for anything. Alcohol, yeah, any, drugs. Any, any yeah. addiction is the same way. Yeah. You know, an alcoholic is going to want more and more and more and more. So that's that's my point in saying that is even even from a psychological perspective, we can see how pornography use affects the brain and makes us into these people who I think are more prone to get into sex trafficking or get into, you know, we, the rape culture is, is a big yeah. issue now. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying that every person who looks at porn is a rapist or, or is going to get into sex trafficking. But I think we can clearly see that the trend of the culture is definitely not helping those situations. Yeah. That's what, I mean, that's what I was going to say that to a certain extent, it doesn't really matter how, many how well regulated it is or how much they're taking care of themselves in terms of you know like healthy workplace compliance or whatever right because i see the effects just in my personal life that that are getting filtered down through society in terms of what people's expectations are for other people in terms of what they think another person should be willing to do or not do 
for with like total strangers or you know and even you know I've read really disturbing studies about like preteens now that they're getting their entire sexual education from porn and starting at a really young age and so like in middle school you know boys will surround girls and try to egg them on to do stuff and take videos and take pictures and the girls feel like they can't say no and they're getting pressured and then the guys the boys are like oh well no one's gonna like you if you don't do this and you know and they feel this just the sense of entitlement to be able to basically watch a performance or be able to snap their fingers and say, you know, this is what I want to see and this is what I want you to do and have somebody act it out in front of them, you know? Yeah, I, I can speak from personal experience, uh, not any part of the industry, but just from my own personal experience. That goes both ways, though. That That's... Um, it's not just the man. I mean, women are the same way. No, <laughs> they really are. No. Well, yeah, that doesn't make it. Like, no, no, no. Good. Just, no just, two wrongs don't it. make a right. No, right. That's true. But <laughs> no, it is. But I'm saying, like, I, well, you're it's the saying same with pornography. Same it's not but, just a man's right. issue. It is a woman's issue. Right. Women right. also right. watch porn. No, yeah. no, it's true. <laughs> yeah. But, but I've, I've run into it in my personal life where women will say, like, oh, yeah, like, no, I, I'm, I'm expecting sex on the third date. You know, or whatever, and it's like if I'm not getting it, we're not gonna be compatible or whatever, and you move on, and like that—that's happened more than one occasion where that's a thing, and like it's surprising how many, and that was kind of a surprise to me that like women are are kind of on the aggressive side for that as well. I mean, we've all heard the stories of men being that way. That's that's a given from almost beginning of time, right? That <laughs> men are like that, but I think now, and, and you know, you see it more and more and more. That it's almost expected now that the, the, the women are like, no, I, I want to have sex too. Like, I want this to happen or else it's not going to work out. And you're right. And I was talking about this with a Catholic friend of mine last night, actually, this girl. And she was saying the same thing that, like, in general, because of the way society is shaped now, you know, if a girl doesn't do something or a guy doesn't do something in a relationship, they're deemed as unattractive, unworthy, and don't have any value. And I think that is definitely a societal problem, for sure. That's something that has to change. I don't think that, you know, whether or not you do something sexual with a person defines their value in society or defines their value in a relationship. So, wait. So, um, have you asked these questions? Or Well, I guess you're not the one actively asking questions. But so these performers that you're interviewing or, or that whoever it is that you know is interviewing – do they seem to have any kind of awareness of what's going on in society and how they may or may not be contributing to their audience? Like, you know, what's going on in their audience's brains? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, um, a lot of the, at least on the female side, a lot of them know what they're doing. A lot of them feel, it's kind of like what, what Tommy was saying, there's good intentions a lot of the times with what they're doing. But they're doing it in the wrong way. Or in this case, with the industry, it's the wrong way. Um, for example, a lot of them feel that they're empowering women to teach them how to, how to be independent women and to, to show them that they can stand on their own. An example of that, because I know you're like, what the heck are you guys talking about? What I mean by that is <laughs> when I'm talking about the accessibility of like social media and people having a following and Twitter and Instagram followers, these women now are doing something they've never done before in the past where they're actually creating a brand for themselves. A lot of these women have their own you know, sex toy brands. A lot of them have their own lingerie brands. A lot of them have their own... They are, and essentially, they are their own business. They are their own companies. And so a lot of the women feel that they're showing other women that even though I'm an, a, a porn industry actress, 
I can make it on my own without anybody's help. And like I'm able to do this and I've done it from from the bottom all the way to the top of whatever they feel the top is of, of, of a success <laughs> of a success ladder. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all the way from the bottom to the top. That was I not mean. meant to be a, 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 an innuendo, but I guess it turned out to be. But but yeah, they they feel that that that's something that they should share with people. And I know I know that because when we've talked to them, they're like, yeah, like I feel like I'm really helping people. Another thing is they feel that they're helping women. And like I said, this is not a theological or you know a moralistic thing that they think about necessarily. But you know they feel that it's their job or their duty to also teach women or other girls how to do some of the sexual acts that they do. Because maybe they don't know how, or maybe their guy asked them to and they have no idea. So they go to they go to porn for that lesson. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's the reality is that like yeah. that's what they feel in their mind is their like positive reinforcement for like the why of why they're doing that. Yeah. You know, it's not all about like I said, nowadays, right now you know, it's not about the money. They don't care about that. It's it's about them. It's about their branding. It's about them as a company. It's about their, their mark on society, what they're doing. So, yes, they do think about it quite a bit. Now, do they think about, like, moralistically what they're doing? I would say a majority of the women in the industry and definitely the men in the industry, morals are not part of the industry. I mean, they are... Morals are there in the sense that, like, they're not being abused or raped or taken advantage of. So there are there is a moral code of conduct, I should say, was probably more accurate. There's a code of conduct that is that is implored there. But as far as, oh, I'm doing this and I'm also a Catholic, how do I feel? For example, one of the people um, uh, I was on that I interviewed with was a Catholic. As a matter of fact, a Catholic girl. And she, she went through, I won't say her name, obviously, for security reasons, but she went through school all the way from elementary school all the way to college. She went to Catholic college even and then decided to, to get into the industry. And it was very interesting to me to hear this because she's telling her whole life story about how she was raised a good Catholic and she went to church and everything else and she went to school with nuns and the whole thing. And I'm just thinking, just sitting there being like, wow, like as I'm you know on the computer doing all the audio stuff, I'm like, well, I would have never guessed. You just would have never guessed, you know. But the reality is, I think some of them do struggle a little bit with, you know, what they do deep down somewhere. I think they do struggle. But then on the surface, they're like, "Well, I can always be forgiven. I don't think I'm doing anything horrible, horrible, horrible." They don't really think so far deep like what we're doing right now how does it impact society i don't think they think like that i think they're thinking more oh i feel really bad at this moment in time but then they get over it you know like once they go home and they go home to their dogs or their cats and stuff it's a majority of the people have dogs and cats they love them. <laughs> i mean that just yeah. sounds so sad yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> that whole description um no but i think yeah, I think what you're saying, obviously, it's coming from this place of empowerment. Again, we keep going back to that, but um, I guess what we need to get to is is the is talking about whether or not pornography itself is wrong, and not yeah. even just religiously, not even morally, but I think on a human level. Because what you just said there was really interesting. How a majority of the women would probably know that they're the, deep down that there's something going on here that's not that's maybe not right. And I think we don't need we don't even need to argue it from a theological level, but I think more of a human level. So a good example is um, 
if, if you think of any action that you do throughout the day. So we know as Catholics that we have a body and we have a soul and they're united. And our soul is what animates our body and it's what makes us move. But even from a philosophical perspective, I think people have to realize when you go and reach for a cup, there's something that's making you move. And what we would call that in philosophy is our subjectivity. It's, who, it's what makes us who we are. And I think the problem with pornography is, and St. John Paul II even touched on this, he said the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much, but that it shows too little. It doesn't show the entire person. It just shows parts for our pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's meant to just sexually arouse. And that's essentially the problem that I see with it, the problem that the church sees with it, is that it's, it's stripping our subjectivity from from who we are as people. So yeah. it's it's taking our body and it's putting it over here and it's taking our subjectivity, who we are as a person and our essence and in our being, and it's putting it over here. And that happens in all art. So if you look at any art, um, any form of art, whether it's a painting or a movie or a photograph, the there's a, a huge amount of responsibility when we view art. Because what happens when we view art, especially when it's a human person in the art, is we have a responsibility to view that person as a person, even though their subjectivity has been taken away. So they have no control at this point. You know, so if I'm sitting here watching pornography right now, the woman in the video, the man in the video, they have no control over how I view them. Exactly. They have no control over what I do at that moment. And so it's stripping their it's stripping their humanity away. And and and, and getting a little theological. When you say now, their humanity, you mean the viewer's humanity or both. Both. Okay. It's stripping okay. it's stripping the performer's humanity because what it's doing is it's taking away their subjectivity. They can no longer say, I I want to do this or I want to do that. It's now all in the viewer's mind. So it's now all the viewer making these judgment calls on this person and the person in the video, the person in the art, the person in the picture has no control over what this person does. Um, so it's stripping away humanity and to just get a theological for a second, um, what do we call that when we take away the body from the soul? We call that death, right? And that's why we call, we, I think it's very safe to say that we're living in a culture of death. We're living in this culture of where we're stripping away the very core of our humanity from our bodies. And we're saying, you know, our bodies are over here for sexual pleasure and for this and that, sexual freedom. We just want to go around and we want to be, you know, sexually empowered and, and all these things coming from the pornography industry. But then at the end of the day, we're taking our humanity out of it. And I think that's the the major problem that pornography, the, the the major the major problem with pornography, is that it takes the human person out of the body, and whenever you do that, it causes death, and it causes, and I think you can see that in our culture, and you even talk talk towards that a little bit. How one, these women are noticing maybe that there's something wrong going on, even if they don't have morals, even if they don't have a religion, they maybe know. At their core, something isn't right here. Well, I, I don't want you to, to misquote me. So I was I was talking specifically about that particular girl. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She because yeah. she was Catholic, and so she. I think that from from when I talked to her and when I listened to her, she she personally felt there was probably something deep down, yeah. a little off with it because you could tell she kind of struggled to for to an extent. You know, especially considering she went through Catholic school her whole life. Right. All of her education, including yeah, yeah. college. But I'd but say for I think someone on the other side of it would probably say, oh, that would probably say, oh, that's just her baggage that she's bringing from the Catholic Church and body shaming and everything that. A lot of it was. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it. A lot she, of it could be, but I think it, it goes deeper than that as well. I think if you're a human <laughs> person, which <laughs> I, I think we all are, right? We're human <laughs> beings, right? Yeah. 
who we're talking about anyway, if you're a human person, I think at your core, even just from a naturalistic level, um, we can get to a point, if we use logic, if we, lose, if we use philosophy, we can get to a point where we realize that the human person was never meant to be viewed as an object, but always meant to be viewed as a who, not a what. Um, and and that's, that's kind of the point that I was getting to, is pornography doesn't allow that. Um, and obviously, yes, there are some people who could um, view a, a piece of nude art. So, for example, Michelangelo painted a ton of nude art in the Sistine mm. Chapel. You know, um, so obviously there are ways to view art, even in even the body and its nakedness that can be good. Right. And, and that has a lot to do with the intention of the viewer. But that also has a lot to do with the intention of the creator of the art. So no one would say Michelangelo in creating these nudes of human beings was making pornography was trying right, to right. excite anyone it was right. trying to excite anyone and, and that's really the definition of pornography we have to use is that pornography is sexually explicit material intended to arouse mm-hmm. you know that's that's just the commonly held belief of what pornography is so michelangelo we could never say when he's making these nudes that he is making pornography why because you can look at these nudes and you can see the beauty of the human person right but when it's done in pornography it's done in such a way and Obviously, yes, still the beauty of the human person is there, right? But it's depicted in such a way that it does intend to arouse lust. And what that does is, again, like I said, it's separating our body from our personhood. It's separating who we are from, you know, what we are, basically. It's, it's, it's taking these, it's, it's just saying, you are an object for my use instead of a person to be mm-hmm. cherished. I would like to ask, kind of going off that, I just I want to give you a chance to respond. I was just with one of my friends and she has found out she has a a group of like Catholic mom friends, very conservative Catholics. They all use NFP and more than one of them has come out basically saying, you know what? My husband uses porn and I'm fine with it because when you use NFP, um, for those who don't know, basically it's a way of spacing your children. So you observe your fertile signs and, you know, you're supposed to abstain if you think you're fertile and you all don't want to have babies. And so after having a baby, you know, there's a long period where, A, you just can't have sex. It's like six weeks, no insertion of anything. And then you could have fertile signs up to like nine months. And usually the woman's like, totally not ready to have a baby. You know, they just don't. And so they're like, yeah, the church is just really behind on this. And, you know, this is just what we need to do for our marriage because I can't fulfill my husband. So. I really like what you said about the culture of death and because, and it, it's really sad to me that that would be seen as like a solution in their marriage. But I I wanted to ask you kind of what your thoughts on that were. Yeah. So it's interesting. I actually, about a year ago, I wrote an article on this very topic um, and it goes into, so basically there was a, there was an article that came out in the American Psychological Association, which was essentially saying what you're saying now, where some couples use pornography to excite their love life, uh, to grow closer together. And so I wrote a rebuttal to that article essentially. And, it, and my point was this is whenever you're viewing pornography, again, we have to go back to what's happening in our body. We're, we're being, we're, we're given this chemical dopamine, which is the chemical that naturally is supposed to bond us to our husband or to our wife. 
It's supposed to bond us to the person that we cherish more than anything in the world. And what happens when we view pornography, yes, obviously that could excite a couple in the bedroom. Sure, no doubt about it. Pornography is exciting. That's why people use it, right? It's arousing. That's why people use it. But, but the problem with that is when you're doing that as a couple or even when a husband is doing that without his wife, what he's doing is he's bonding to the pornography. He's not bonding to the one he cherishes. Even if they're doing it together, there's a certain part of his brain that is bonding to something else besides her. And I see that as a huge issue. And kind of talking about NFP a little bit, it's actually interesting because I was just doing a lot of research on this. Oh, P.S. It stands for Natural Family Planning. Natural Family Planning, <laughs> we yeah. just clarify that. And a lot of people just think, oh, the church is archaic and, and they're yeah. using these crazy forms of contraception. First off, the rhythm method is the archaic method. NFP is not the rhythm method. And secondly, we know through just our bodies and through biology and through how uh, a woman's cycle works, there's actually only 12 hours out of a month that a woman can become pregnant. 12 hours. And so what happens... Can we preface this for our listeners, though? This is also... Because you're right, it's true. But what I do <laughs> want to say is if that person and i mean maybe some most of you aren't in this boat but if you are using like very extensive forms of birth control prior to that though it can permanently mess you up that's oh it can why. yeah your cycle it's, is very it's, can be it's very it's why we talk yeah. about you know not using birth control in general right. uh, you know in the catholic faith because biologically it can just could totally destroy you so like if you're using birth control now and say oh i want to do nfp once we're married or whatever it probably will not work for you. I mean, there's a good chance it might not. It could, but it couldn't also it, work. It there's can, it can mess with your cycle, but a yeah. lot of – that's why NFP yeah. is so great. And I, I heard a recent statistic where it's – if it's used correctly, it's 99.4% effective in, present, in preventing pregnancy. Again, like you said, there's a lot of stuff that could go into that. If you're using mm -hmm. birth control, it's going to mess with your, your rhythm. But the, the great thing about NFP is it brings the couple together. It doesn't bring them apart. So if you're using NFP as a couple and all of a sudden the guy is like, oh, now we can't have sex. I'm not going to be close to you. There's a huge issue there because what was sex to them before that? You know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, I forgot who said this, but one of my favorite quotes is, um, if you can't say no to sex, then your yes means nothing. If you can't say no to sex, then your yes means nothing because essentially what you're, what you're, you're reducing yourself to if you can't say no is you're an animal. And so to that point, you're saying, okay, well, I could have sex with anyone. I guess you'll do at this point because you're here. Like you're the one who's most available. If you can't say no to sex, then your yes means nothing. So if you're using NFP and you, you know, typically there's about an eight-day window where you wouldn't have um, sexual intercourse with your, your spouse using NFP typically. And again, like you said, birth control could mess with that rhythm and certain factors could play into that. But if you can't wait eight days to not have sex with your wife or with your husband and you have to go to some other form of something to, to satisfy that urge, I think there's a huge problem. I think there's a huge issue because what that should be doing is bringing you together as a couple and saying, you know, we love each other so much. We want to give each other everything and we want to go through this together instead of having that kind of force you apart. And to clarify, I mean, my friends that do NFP, they say it is hard. Oh, very difficult. Yeah, I'm t I, yeah it's obviously, I mean... <laughs> yeah, you know, because I think sometimes we're guilty of whitewashing it a little bit. Oh, yeah. Being like, oh my gosh, it's the best and butterflies oh, and so easy. peaches yeah, and sunsets and, and roses. I'm not using NFP myself, but I could imagine when I'm married, <laughs> um, yes, that'd yeah. be very difficult. For yeah. eight I mean, you know, that's that's one of the points of marriage. What, right. Why do we get married? For, for uh, 
or, or why do we have sex essentially is for is for bonding and for babies and um you know it's <laughs> b and b bonding and babies the bonding. bees oh my um but like it, that's a huge part of marriage like we can't you know we can't put that on the back burner and we can't just say oh yeah you know Oh, good thing I'm not attracted to my wife because this eight days will be easy. You know, like, that's not happening. Yeah, obviously it's going to be difficult. But I think through that difficulty, um, you can come together as a couple. And I, what I've found, especially in my struggle, is some of the hardest things in life to attain are the things that are most, most worth it in the end. Mm-hmm. And that's just a personal thing that I've found. But. that uh in general that it, it, it's hard because people that are people that are really into that or even like if you look at have you i'm assuming you've read the entire theology of the body of yeah john paul okay so i have to and and i know that in it in his in his extent i mean it's long it's extensive you know every rule and kind of, it's very dense it's really, yeah it's very <laughs> yeah. dense stuff and and if you look at it though there's all sorts of there's all sorts of kind of like theological rules that you wouldn't really you wouldn't even think about i mean as a catholic or even otherwise as a person in general um there there were some interesting things in there that i did not know you know things you're supposed to do as a catholic as a married couple that was part of theology excuse me part of theology of the body you know for example like when you're married technically you're all we are all called as a married catholic couple to still be chaste until you're going to you know, try to bond or have babies. Like, it's not like frivolous sex and, oh, I can just have it whenever I want because we want it. Like, oh, yeah. There's, yeah, not sex right. yeah, right. yeah. there's, a, there's a specific order and reasoning to why, you know, those things are happening. But, I mean, I the thing that blew my mind, and I don't know how John Paul, I, I can't remember exactly how he came to the conclusions necessarily, but I remember that he had rules. Like, if if you he, – he, he stressed the importance, like, in a, in a married couple – that foreplay is important, but if the man finishes during foreplay, <laughs> yeah. I remember you have to you have to like take a break and you have to finish and actually have full intercourse with your wife. No, like these, these no, are things no, that are true. This is theologically true. But but that is theologically what what is supposed to happen. Yes. You are not supposed to you are not supposed to finish outside of the 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 opportunity of having a child. Right. So if you do, then you have to you have to go back in thinking, all right, we're gonna have a child. No, really, that's the rule. Yeah. And I was no, I, I was surprised yeah. by that rule because when I was reading it, I said, so even as a married couple, you can't even enjoy this. The same, like when, I mean, when I was thinking it before I've matured and realized there's a reason for it. But before I was like, wow, like I didn't even know you can't even do this as a married couple. Yeah, you know. And one of the things actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna digress a little bit. One of the things that the that particular girl I'm talking about had stressed was in, and I think this is a big part of it that as Catholics we have to be better about. When she was in school in Catholic school, like I said, she was from elementary to, to college. They didn't. They they said the exact same thing that you said earlier in the podcast. They said, "Don't have sex, don't do this," and they they just ended it that way. Yeah. Or and in, and in her case, they said, "Oh." Well, don't have sex and also don't do oral sex either because that's bad. But then that's all they left it at and they didn't give a reason to why. So then the girl said, oh, well, then 
I wonder what, like, petting is, if petting's okay. Oh, making out's okay. Petting's okay. This is Where's okay. Where's the line? The Where's the yeah. line? Yeah. And, and why is there a line at this event versus another event, you know, or a, another act? And so I think as Catholics, especially, we have to be better about explaining the why. I think that as kids, like, if you are having um, sexual education at whatever age it is, I think that you know, theologically, the church should also step in and say, hey, by the way, these are the reasons why yeah. you're not supposed to do this. And yeah. not just say, don't do it. Yeah. You're going to hell. That's not a good enough reason. Yeah. You have to explain the reasoning of why. Because I know if I was younger and I had the full reasoning of why of theology of the body then, yeah. that I do now, I wouldn't have done the things that I did in my past. Yeah. Or I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have under. I would have understood the severity of why we have the reasons we do these things. Yeah, you know, well, I think it's a big part of it. It's beautiful you said that because that's the whole reason I did this program that I did was because again, like I grew up in that kind of culture of don't do this. And I'm sure you've heard this before if you've ever heard a chastity talk or anything mm-hmm. or chastity speakers. All the time I hear chastity speakers. They'll say, well. You know, abstinence and chastity are different, and that's true, they are, but they'll go and they'll say, abstinence is about what you can't do, abstinence is about no, and chastity is about what you can do, it's about yes. But then they stop there, Mm. and they're like, so take that home, and it's like, wait, but what is the yes? Like, what can we do? Mm. So I think as a church, you hit it right on the head, we need to start educating people on, and and that's what chastity is, if you you look at the... um, scholarly definition from the catechism right (laughs) um chastity is the successful integration of sexuality within the human person and that's the inner unity of man and his bodily and spiritual being so essentially what chastity is is it's living out our sexuality in the state that we're in in our life now and living it out in a loving way so how can a boyfriend and a girlfriend kiss without sinning how can they you know cuddle on a couch without kissing how can they love each other affectionately love each other without sinning those are the things we need to be talking about instead of mm. always focusing on the negatives and saying you know don't do this don't do this don't do this yes obviously we have rules for a reason but if our rules ever trump <laughs> like just simple love of a person yeah. i think there's a big problem yeah yeah um, i mean I, I i would agree with you because that that's become what it's kind of is and then that's when people just in, instinctually human nature is to say oh well these are rules how can i break them right. and it's, it's not about that that you have to know the why behind the reasons why well, they seem those. arbitrary and it seems like um you know like one of one of my friends was just yelling at me on facebook about something and um and she was just like oh you know like the catholic church is all about controlling women's bodies and shaming and everything and i'm like you know but i can understand why you would come to that conclusion if you don't also understand this entire back theology that explains the dignity of the human person right and it always has to start with the human person yeah it always has to where rules don't make sense uh one of my i don't think john paul ii says this exclusively but i think the point he was getting to in Theology of the bodies. Before we show, before we teach people how to act, we have to first show them who they are. Before we teach them how to act, we have to first show them who they are. Because if you go right into it and you say, "Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this," you're not an animal. Well, they're going to be like, "Well, why not? Why aren't I an animal? Mm-hmm. I don't understand that." You know, mm-hmm. because we've been kind of growing up in this culture where more and more, I think, we start to believe that. Yeah. But Saint John Paul II would say, "No, no, no. Yeah, Look and back so- to the beginning. Look back to who you are as a human. Look back to right. human love and, and what all this stuff was made for. And then from there, it no longer. And I've found that it no longer becomes just rules for rules sake but it's true freedom it's where you say you know i have this freedom to do 
X or Y, and I'm going to choose X, I'm going to choose the good thing, not because I have to because it's a rule, but because in my heart I know that that's what I want. And he, that's what he constantly discusses in Theology of the Body is that these rules don't become uh, these things that keep us in, but they become these things that make us more free. Why? Because we, we start, if we grow and if we, if we you know, allow our hearts to be softened and allow grace in, we can, we can start to we can start to want those things mm-hmm. um, and desire those things. And I think that's what John Paul II is getting at, is that we always have to start with the human person and human love and go from there. Yeah, because um, like self-control isn't even seen by most people as a virtue anymore. Like Chesterton says that eventually he came to see that the church was like the boundaries of a playground. Yeah. You know, like it's it may seem really closed off, but what there is within it is actually really can be really joyful and free. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to touch on something that I think is important in this podcast too. Um, <laughs> we talked about obviously, you know, pornography in, in, in society and how, it, how it's reflective. I think, however, because of at least growing up in a Catholic community specifically, I think that deep down, not even deep down, I would say even that far deep, like maybe two inches deep down and to my, for me at least, Every guy that's really Catholic or is trying to be Catholic or is actively um, practicing Catholic, we want that girl that's going to be a, a, a practicing Catholic as well. I don't think any guy walks into life, like even at a young age, and says, oh, yeah, I want the girl that's been with like 50 guys or whatever. Like for an example, I think that everyone wants to have at the beginning of that life of chastity and have that life of promise that you know you're going to be saving yourself for marriage and you're going to be saving yourself for the right girl and etc the problem i feel that that that's happened is that because it, it's a re- i feel that we're at a revolving door point and what i mean by that is because right now like we just talked about since the church is not fully explaining the reasons why all of these things are happening because they're not explaining it and society negatively or positively is explaining it or forcibly explaining it to us or young people in general, it's it's giving it's giving the average kid an out, you know, from their faith even. It's like saying, oh, well, yeah, I don't know why, like the reason of why I'm not supposed to have sex before marriage or whatever, but society's saying it's not that bad, everybody does it. So then you're up, you start this revolving door process where – one kid will do it or one girl will do it. And then it's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. All my friends are doing it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And then you're starting this whole like snowball effect where now it's like, you know, you look at a, you look at life and you say, well, everybody's doing this. I wish that there were pure people out there that believed what the church believes. Well, there would be. There absolutely would be if everyone knew the reasonings why at the very beginning. And I think that's a huge point I want yeah, to drive and home. Yeah, parents weren't scared to explain it to their kids. Yeah, their, that's you know. a huge part of it. Because I know for me, and I know for most of the Catholic guys that I know, we all say on a regular basis, where are all the good Catholic girls? Where are they? We can't find them. <laughs> and that's really the truth. There's not enough out there. Like, I'm Granted, there are some. <laughs> But, Thank you. But of the sum, <laughs> no, but really, you're a great Catholic. Yes, girl, by the way, but but of that. the sum that are there, not all of them are going to like you. You know, you have to have the other compatibility stuff too, along with that. So it's like at the end of the day, there's how many just in the in in LA alone. Let's say we're in LA, right? You know, we're in, yeah. They know all right, we're so in we're in LA. LA. 
there's what 15 million Catholics that are that are Catholics, whether they're practicing or not. There's 15 million, and out of that 15 million, there's less than two million that are practicing registered practicing Catholics, and then the ones that are actually registered, how many of those people are actually actively practicing? You know, it's 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 crazy how small of a number that really is. So when we're looking and like like I said, some of the really good practicing Catholics that I know, we're like, yeah, you know, we we wish we could be the good guys that everyone wants us to be and and find a good Catholic girl, but unfortunately, the Catholic girls either aren't available, we can't find them, they're not practicing, and all of these things snowball <laughs> to the point where we're like, all right, I guess we'll go with the Protestant or all right, I guess we'll date whoever and I guess that we'll probably have sex. Like those are things that happen because the the snowball effect is has already come into play at such an early age. And I feel that all of this could be avoided, even the pornography thing. And I'm not saying pornography doesn't have a have a negative or positive role regardless, but I will say if the church instilled these values from the very beginning and the reasonings why at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, during puberty age, when you're supposed to be learning all that stuff, I don't think the the draw to pornography would be as big as it as it is today. I don't think it yeah. would be as big. I agree. I think the church, though, and just a couple comments on that. One, obviously, that goes both ways. The, I mean, I'm sure there are tons of Catholic girls listening to this podcast. No, everything like, that you just said. Hey, where are all the Catholic guys? Yeah. You know, um, Go to your local church. I, uh, I found a great Catholic girl myself, so maybe I scooped up the only, uh, the only, only, one. The yeah. only one out there, man. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I do apologize. I, yeah, it goes both ways, but I think, I think the church has done – has grown in leaps and bounds, and especially with this issue, and especially with theology of the body. I mean, that was Saint John Paul II's whole point. His his first major teaching project as Pope was to was to say to the Church as a whole, "Listen, we've got this wrong. We need to really be looking at this, and need to be teaching this, and need to be going into this. And we can't make the mistake of saying that theology of the body is something new." Like, this was taught in, in Humanae Vitae, this has been taught in encyclicals from the very beginning, this has been taught from the Church Fathers, but what tends to happen, I think, and maybe this is Satan. And it's also biblical, too. And it's biblical, I mean, that's just, where it started, I yeah. mean, sex started with God, he created it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go back to Genesis, and you see the first marriage, and it's beautiful. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard, but I've heard it before said where the Bible starts with a marriage, it ends with a marriage, it in does. Revelation, yeah, and the beginning, uh, or the very middle of the Bible is erotic love poetry. It's the Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as Catholics, I don't think we can, I don't think it's fair to say we're not doing it. Well, yeah, we aren't doing enough. But as the Catholic Church as a whole, they've given us the tools, they've given us the stuff, and it's our job now to go out and to preach this to the world. Right. Uh, and I think the problem, I won't say that we, we didn't know about it, because that, that, you're right, that's false. We knew about it. But what I'm saying is the the church in general as a whole, I mean, because I went through a catechism. I'm sure you probably yeah. did too. And like, I know that they didn't teach theology of the body in catechism. Yeah. Oh, or, and, and they didn't teach it at yeah. the age and it, needs it should to be, be taught. taught. It does. And that should be taught in conjunction with catechism. Absolutely. Right? It should be taught. I mean, the average age now of viewing hardcore pornography is eight years old. That was a study eight? that was eight years oh old. Gosh, that was a study that was done just last year. Oh, my God. So at eight years old, people are now – It's and it's like what you said earlier. They're, the first sexual education people are getting is from hardcore pornography. They run across it in the library or, or uh, they, they come <laughs> McDonald's across, at your 
McDonald's. I guess at McDonald's. <laughs> and, and if, if that happens, I don't know. But yeah, like they're running across this stuff. And so as the church, the church as a whole has given us the tools. And what we need to do now is we need to really engage ourselves and we need to look at the culture and we need to say, there's a huge problem here. Something is going on that is not correct. We, we do not have a respect of the human person. We do not have a respect of human love. We do not have a respect of human sexuality. So how do we fix it? And I think the way to fix it is for us as Catholics to go out into the world and to fix it. And again, yes, it does need to be taught in CCD. It does need to be taught in the churches. It does need to be taught more by priests. And I know a lot of priests growing up who did teach it very well. And it, and it, thankfully, I was discerning the priesthood last year, so thankfully, I do know this for a fact, that it is being taught more and more in seminaries now, which is great. So priests can go out and teach it to their congregation. And it is a little difficult when you have different age groups and things. You know, you have a two-year-old in the pew and you just start talking about sex from the pulpit. That's going to be a little weird. Right, which um, is why I said that catechism is... Exactly. When it, when but it I totally it. agree with you. It needs to be taught more. And we, we are failing, in a sense, as the church people, not as the church, I would say, because they've given us the tools, but mm-hmm. as the church people, mm-hmm. we have failed in a sense where we, we are not going out enough and we're not preaching this enough and we're not loving enough. And, mm-hmm. we, and we need to, we need to be called on. And it's like what, and St. John Paul II talks about this, the words of Christ, where he says, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm-hmm. And St. John Paul II unpacks that verse and he says, you know, I think, and, and obviously this is all paraphrasing and it's his ideas. He doesn't say this exactly, but what he gets to is um, he's saying, you know, a lot of people look at that verse and they think it's Jesus being hard on them. And I know I thought that as a kid, it's like, whoa, even if I just think a lustful thought and not, like instantly it goes away, like I'm committing yeah. adultery. And I think, so he, he gets, he, he's saying like, we, we look at that verse and what we think is it's a condemnation, but he switches that around and he's like, it's not Jesus condemning us. It's Jesus calling us. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing is he's calling us away from lust. He's calling us and he's saying as a human person, yes, you have the desire to sin. Right, As human beings, we have the desire to sin. There's something attractive about sin or else we wouldn't do it. We have that desire. right? We have, we have this desire to do what is wrong, but we can rise above it. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of our Catholic faith, because of Christian faith, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we can rise above that. And that's what we need to be teaching is that we don't need to be bogged down in this mm-hmm. in this depression of our lustful thoughts and of pornography and of uh, hurtful relationships and, and just abuse and, 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 you know, look at all the mental disorders going on now. All of this stuff can stem from not having a proper view of our humanity. And I think that mm-hmm. goes to the very core of what we need to be doing as Catholics, as Christians, as just human beings, is we need to go out and we need to love and we need to teach this stuff to the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know that when we, because like the first time I ever heard of Theology of the Body was when I was organizing um, a big Catholic event with Matt Maurer and um, Christopher West. And I heard Christopher West talk about it. And I had, and I had never even heard of Theology of the Body. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I was organizing the thing. And I Imagine how bad I felt. So, but, 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 but my point is, you know, it was a youth conference for, for, for high school and college age kids. And I said, if this is the first time they're hearing this, it's too late. Yeah. You know, oh, it's, it's, it's yeah. 10 years too late. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's the problem. It's like, you know, and I, I'm not saying like you said, like we keep reiterating. So I'm saying for your for your listeners, what I would say to them, 
um, in general is that if you are a coordinator for your, your local CCD or if you're a, or for your catechism or your religious education or your religious education director or whatever, reach out to your parish and, and find a way to somehow incorporate um, either a, a priest or a deacon or a speaker on theology of the body to come and talk to your kids at catechism at that at that age because I think that that will really help shape things because I know right now I mean we're saying a lot of things but it's like okay how you, how can you implement it yeah. right, to your listeners and I think the yeah. listeners have to say well look if you are even if you're a parent listening you know get in contact with your religious education director figure out a way to somehow incorporate that in and I think that it'll it'll help you guys a lot well and I I do really want to encourage parents too to not shy away from you know, from teaching it to their kids, from educating themselves and to talking to their kids about it, because really that the home is the first place I think that we should be learning about it, you know? And I was just talking to one of my friends who has kids and she was like, yeah, even in diapers, I started talking about consent because even, you know, with little kids, it's like, Oh, you know, give him a kiss and give him a hug and everything. And you know, it's, there's just so many aspects of our culture that you may not even think about that really affect the way that we look at sexuality later on. So. Yeah, it's, it's very important, especially for parents. Um, and a great place to go, speaking practically, I'm going to do a shameless plug for a second. Do it. Uh, yeah. Because I do have this program out there. This isn't for children, but it's more for uh, high school to college age people. So if there is anyone out there listening who is feeling they're addicted to porn and is trying to get out of this, um, my website is, and we can put it in the description, mm-hmm. I'm sure, as well. Yeah. But it's www.tommy-schultz.com. And there's a 30-day program on there to look at. But what I specifically want to mention uh, about the topic that we were just talking about is Matt Frad has an excellent website called integrityrestored.com. Essentially what the website is for is it's for families, it's for parents especially, to be able to give them the tools to teach this stuff to their kids Mm -hmm. in an age-appropriate way. So obviously you're not going to go to your six-year-old and say, you know, pornography is bad, don't look, you know, you're going to do it in an age-appropriate way. You're not going to go into all of sexuality right away. But Matt Fred has several uh, podcasts that he's done that I've listened to that are excellent in helping parents just talk to their kids about these important topics. Mm So that's Mm -hmm. one place that I'd really recommend parents to go if there are parents listening is integrityrestored.com and parents also something super easy i know this should be like common sense but it, it might not be but learn your child locks on everything that'll help you a lot at least in the very beginning especially if you instill it early so it's not like a punishment type thing but it just as a precaution you know make sure that they can't access those kind of websites on the on your computer on their phones whatever i mean i grew up in the and I'm an 80s baby, so I didn't have the, the, the phones and stuff like these kids do now. Yeah. But, you know, if you if they have a phone, make sure you, 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 you monitor their internet and their app access and all that kind of stuff because it's very easy to, to, you know, even if you're being the best parent in the world, if they access a computer... It's game over. They've got it. It's, yeah. already, it's already too late. Well, and a great so. software for that is Covenant Eyes. And for people who don't know what Covenant Eyes is, it's cool because it's a filter program. So it actually does block. You can set different filters and it blocks certain content. But the other thing that it does is it's an accountability software. So essentially what you do when you sign up for Covenant Eyes is you put in an email of, so, okay, for example, say you're a family, um, the husband is wanting to get something for his children. So he signs up for Covenant Eyes and he makes his password. And so what will happen is any site that the kids look at through this browser, um, if you put it on all of you know your TVs, your computers, your laptop, uh, 
phones, everything, any website that they look at, it'll send an email to the parents Mm -hmm. and it'll say, this is the websites they've been at. This is the content they're looking at. So then you can enter into a discussion. And so it's, it's not so much, Hey, we don't trust you, but it's more, we just want you to be safe. You know, we just want you to, uh, we -hmm. cherish you. We love you. We don't want you to be, um, to be viewing this stuff. And, and so, it, it, it kind of enter it, it allows the parents to enter into discussion with the kids. Uh, so it's not, not so much, we don't trust you at all. You know, we're going to put filters on everything and don't ever access this stuff because there's always a way around filters. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. But Covenant Eyes is great because it allows the parents to interact with the children in a way where it's like, you know, uh, I saw you looked up this YouTube video. What did you find in that that you found beautiful? Or what did you find in that that really, you know, wanted you to go there, you know? And, and, and then you're, you're kind of discussing really important issues, in, in, again, in an age-appropriate way. And a cool thing, too, with the program that I have, if you sign up for Covenant Eyes and use the, the um, code NOVO, that's N-O-V-O, when you sign up for Covenant Eyes, you get a month for free. Nice. So you can try it out, just see how you like it, put it on all your computers for a month, see you know, see how you like the program. I have a lot of friends that use it, and they, and they say it's a great software. So, But that's another option as well, just practically what parents can do to kind of help their kids out. Cool. Yeah, I think one thing that's really important also that I wanted to, to just shout really quick was, um, you know, we obviously talked about the industry and, and the people in it and whatnot, and um, Tommy talked about the stripping away of, you know, the soul and, uh, you know, when the body and the soul separate, we become dead. One thing I really wanted to touch on for anybody listening, or if, if you know anybody, if you're in Southern California or, um, Florida is the other place really. But, um, in general, I mean, I, I like I said, I, since I work in the industry, I know a lot of the people and they're, as far as the people as a person, they're genuinely some of the most real, nicest people you'll ever meet. And just like just like in the Old Testament with Rahab, um, you know, as a prostitute, right? And then the the other lady who was a prostitute that Jesus met, and you know, he said, "Turn away and sin no more." These people are people at the end of the day. And what I really wanted to get across is that like I don't want people to shame them for what they're doing, even if they are in the industry or you know, you you don't know the reasons why they're in it. I don't know the reasons why they're in it until they tell me or whatever, you know, but at any rate, we're, we're all supposed to treat each other with kindness. And I just want to get that across too, that, you know, even if we're saying the industry is bad and it seems like as a whole, we're saying that there's more negative than good that comes of it. You know, that's no excuse to, to, to shame people. Oh, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. You, you have to love people. One of my favorite quotes from St. John Paul II is he said, the only adequate response to a human person is love. And that's really what it comes down to. If we're not loving people, then we've got it all wrong. And we need to start. We need to go back to the beginning. We need to look at where we came from and how we were made and how we were created. And that we were created by a God who is love. And if we're not loving, then we've we've gone the wrong way at some point. I agree, 100%. Well, that sounds like a beautiful place to wrap up. Yeah, yeah so, 100%. <laughs> thank you both for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I wanted to plug my my stuff too. If anyone oh, yeah? wanted to, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, uh, Instagram uh, sidetrack dot music m u s i k, and then my Twitter is uh, twitter dot com slash sidetrack music, and that's m u s i k. Okay. Well, I'll put the links in the description. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We 
are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LAGonefishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.